This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Welcome, everybody. Welcome, all our uh, Torah Anytime uh, viewers and listeners. So tonight, uh, first and foremost, we are learning Le'ilu Nishmat Avraham ben Chaim Yehuda and Yechezkel ben Avraham. So tonight we're going to be discussing a, uh, a an important topic. I mean, like every topic is an important topic, uh, you know. I don't know why I say important or interesting. Like, every topic that we learn is important and interesting. Like, that's just, like, a standard. But um, the, the the topic is how to prevent suffering. So this is not, you know, people that are dealing with issues. It's it sort of, let me explain it this way. When you're in a situation, you can connect to what, let's say, the speaker is speaking about if it's that situation. So, for example, if, let's say, I'll be speaking about financial hardships and you're going through, not you, somebody's going through financial hardships, they could sort of connect to that a lot more and they're more interested in that. And that's why, you know, topics are so important because people are interested in what they are interested in and what they're what they're looking at and what they, uh, uh, what they can connect to. And that's really what's going on in your day-to-day life. And that's why when, you know, when we speak about certain topics, people are only that are interested, for example, it was a topic that I gave uh, many years ago about dreams. So when somebody is, is interested in dreams or listening to it, people are, some people are obsessed with dreams and it's fine, but you know, they'll, they'll, they'll be attracted to that. But some people are like, ah, eh, dreams, well, you know, like it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't matter. So they won't be, you know, so connected to it and so interested in it. The topic that we're speaking tonight, Bezal Hashem, is the topic of how to prevent suffering. This should be a topic that everybody should be interested in. And the reason being is that we all want to prevent problematic situations should they arrive. The interesting thing is, is that generally the people that you'll see that will be more interested in this is that people that did go through difficulties in their life. Uh, human beings, we work in a very, very interesting way that, um, and especially the younger generation, when we don't go and we don't, we're not dealing with a certain problem, we think the problem will never happen. But once we're dealing with it, then we'll, then we say, okay, it happened before, so maybe it could happen again. So this topic, even though, you know, you know, you may or may not be able to connect to it, this is very important just in a generalized uh, fashion, just because, you know, we want to have an easy life. We want to have a good life. We want to have a successful life. So with that being said, when we look at the world, uh, the world in general, you know, it's, it's a perfect world. It's an awesome world. Like, like really what God did was really unbelievable. But the perfection in the world is not, is not really in the perfectness of the world. In fact, the perfection is really in the imperfection. And if we go back to the time when, uh, you know, Kaddish Baruch went and created the world, you see that things happened in the beginning of creation that were not so, so to speak, the way that God sort of intended to it. For example, when God created trees, the fruit trees, they were supposed to be created with the fruit and the bark, the wood of the tree, actually be tasting like the tree, like the fruit itself. So, for example, if you would have chopped off a you know a piece of uh, apple tree and you would have taken a bite, assuming that you had claws in your mouth and you were able to take a bite out of wood, you would have bitten that wood. It would have tasted like apple, and and so you know you would have done that with peaches, with anything. It would have tasted like that. Just imagine the the, the amazingness in that. Imagine you have a fireplace and you know how people have now candles that are scented. Now imagine that these are wood. These the way that intended to be was was like ingrained scented wood. You could have apple firewood, you could have, you know, peach firewood, you could have whatever it is that, the, you know, the trees, you know, whatever fruits they are, you'd be able to smell that, you'd be able to taste that. But the interesting is that, and this is what Akadosh Baruch said, etz pli oset pli, like the, the etz, the tree should be also just like the, the fruit. But 
what we see what happened was it didn't happen like that. The fruit tasted like the fruit, but the bark, the, the tree, the actual wood of it didn't taste like the actual fruit. And then you look at different parts of the creation, the moon and the sun. They were supposed to be originally both the same brightness. But what happened, the moon came and says, oh, there can't be two luminaries, there can't be two of the same. And what happened was that God had to make one lesser and one greater. And you see this happens like like quite some time. The HaKadosh Baruch went and created something called the Ohaganus. It's like a hidden light, a light that's, it's like a spiritual light. It's like a clarity of the light. This was created and then it was hidden away because people will misuse it. So it seems like the way that the world was created is like God intended it for one way. And it sort of didn't work out. And then God intended for a different thing. And it didn't work out. And God intended so on and so forth. And it seems, you know, almost as if, you know, it was a failed mission. Like, God tried to do something. It didn't work. And, okay, let's move on to the next thing. And the answer, the, the, when you look at it, it's really not. That's the, the, really the essence. This is how it was supposed to be created. And that's what's very interesting. You look at the Midrash from Yalkot Shemunim. goes and says like this. The Midrash goes and says, you know, when when... You look at the majority of the days after God created the world. It says, "What kitov?" And Hakadosh Baruch Hu, and God saw that it was good. And then you go, and you look at the end of what the end of the sixth day, like after the creation was finished. You look at Bereshit chapter one, verse thirty-one. It says, "Vihine tov meod." It is very good. So it went from "Vayalokim kitov," just good, to "Tov meod," very good. So the question is, what happened that the first days of creation, everything was just good? And at the sixth day, at the end of the, at the, at the, fi- the, the pinnacle, the, the, the final, you know, last, you know, pinpoint of creation, the, 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 the finishing touches of it, God says, you know what? Not only was good, it was very good. So the Al-Kutcha money goes and explains that when, when the Torah says good, this is referred to the attribute, the attribute of goodness, the, the good things that happen into this world. But when it says very ma'od, when it says very good, that is in reference to the, attrib- the, the attribute of suffering, the, the things that, that causes problems to this world. So meaning the Medrash goes and says, good, that's the good stuff. Very good, tov ma'od, that's the bad stuff. The bad stuff is actually better than the good stuff. Now again, we're not asking for the bad stuff. But in essence, the bad stuff is bigger and better than the good stuff. Because why? Because it brings people to the next world, the Midrash tells us. Now, the thing is, is that when we go and when we experience problems, when we experience the difficulties in life, we don't feel, we don't feel that goodness. We don't feel that God is like, oh, God is loving us. We feel exactly the opposite. We don't see the bad as the good. And this happens so much in marriages. In marriages, people think, you know what? I didn't get the perfect spouse. I didn't get what was, you know, what I really wanted, what I really needed. And it's, it's, a, it's like sort of an imperfection that people have. And they think that, you know what, I, I made a mistake. I messed up. I got into a situation that I messed up. And when you go and you look at, at let's say, two potential candidates for marriage. Let's say you have two people that are awesome, amazing. They're like the best of the best in everything. And you put them together. You think, okay, this one's perfect. This one's perfect. Put two perfect people together. And then you'll have a perfect marriage. But it doesn't work that way. And we see that people that deal with marriages, people that deal you know, in the world of relationships can see that, you know, that, that when things look so good on paper, like everything works out so amazing on paper. But when, when it comes to real life, it's a nightmare. It's, it's a horror scene of what goes on. And the the reason for that is is that you know people think that we're supposed to be exactly alike in our spouse. Like like I'm supposed to be one way, my wife is supposed to be exactly like me, and if she's anything different, then there must be I made a mistake. And 
really, you should be looking for similarities. When you're dating, you should be looking for similarities. But at the end of the day, you have to know that you're two separate people from two different upbringings, two different mindsets. You're different people. And that's a good thing. That's a very, very good thing. It's a very important thing that you're different people. The reason being is that the two differences complement each other. When you have someone that has a strong point, another one that has a weak point, so the strong one sort of brings up the weak one in that certain character trait or a certain area in their life. And we sort of complement each other and that's how we grow together. If you're both perfect, then yeah, it's not going to work. So meaning that the perfect marriage is the imperfect couple, if you understand what I'm saying. So the, the, the perfection lies in the imperfection. And this is really what people go and they think, you know, like, I married someone, like, completely wrong for me. I married somebody, I messed up, you know, I made a mistake. The answer is, no, no, no. You know, first of all, God doesn't make a mistake. If God put you two together, there's a reason why you guys are together. The imperfection in your spouse is the perfection for you. And that's going to help you grow to become what you need to become. We're there to help each other. And each, it's sort of like a puzzle. What's, what's strong in one is deficient in another. And some, some not in everything, but in many things, you see how you sort of can complement each other and you sort of can grow together. And this is the way that God works. God works like a surgeon. It's painful when a surgeon does surgery. It's difficult. There's hardship in it, but it's only for our benefit. So it looks bad. It looks like you married somebody wrong. It looks like you messed up. But really, you married the most perfect person for you. You're married so right. And this is when you have like, you know, the Gemara tells us in Ida that when a baby is in its mother's womb, that's when it's it's the best time ever for the baby. They're learning Torah with the Malach. It's just like, it's like a, you know, they just, it's the best time for the soul to be in that, if it's in this world, in the mother's womb. However, now let's say, um, there is some complications with the fetus. And the obstetrician comes and says, you know what, it's dangerous for the baby, it's dangerous for the mother, we have to do surgery, we have to take out the baby a little bit early. And they go and they do the surgery and they take out the baby early. Now the baby is like getting pulled out and the baby's like, what are you doing? You know, I'm sitting here with my malach, I'm sitting here with my angel, and I'm learning the entire Torah, I'm, I'm enjoying myself to the highest extent, why are you taking me out? And it seems like it's very difficult. It seems like it's very bothersome. It seems like it's going through some very, very hard times. But in essence, all that the surgeon doing is it's saving its life. And the surgeon's saying, no, 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 let me take you out. And when you come out, you're going to see over here, you're going to have 120 years in this world that you're going to be able to do so many mitzvot, so many good things. And then you're going to see the real, the real good in Olam Abba, and the real good in the next world. When a person goes and, and understands the way that heaven works, all of a sudden, they see things very different. The Chafetz Chaim brings a mashal, a parable, that there was once a Jew that uh, was, came from the country, meaning that he came from a place where there wasn't so many uh, minyanim, there wasn't so many, you know, uh, he wasn't able to go so much to, to prayers. And he comes into the city and he goes to a shul, he goes to prayer. And he sees that everybody's going, you know, it's time to, for, for laning, it's time for the reading of the Torah. And the, the, the Gabbai, the one who is, you know, in charge of like calling people up of who's going to come, you know, say the blessing by the Torah, goes and starts calling one person from the front of the room. And then he goes and calls another person from the back of the room. And then he calls another person from the left side of the room. And then another person from the right side of the room. The guy from the country is looking at says, what is going with this guy? How can he keep track of like everybody's from different angles? He goes over, this countryman goes over after, after davening, after the prayer services. He goes over to this, uh, you know, to the guy by and he says i don't understand he says you're calling one guy from here one guy from there one guy from there all over the place just make it very simple start with on day on shabbat from bereshit you start from row number one and then you move back slowly and but surely and this way you'll be able to cover everybody you'll know you'll touch everybody and you know everybody's going to be happy so the guy by says you know it's very nice that you're coming over here one week 
He says, you don't know what's going on over here. He says, the reason why I had to call this guy over here because he had a yard site. The reason why I had to call that guy over there because he had a, you know, he had a, a, you know, a, a bar mitzvah. This guy is a chatan and this guy had this and this guy that everybody, there's a reason for it. So when you're coming into the synagogue and saying, oh, how come he's getting first and he's got, how come you don't just go, you know, systematically? How come you, God doesn't just split the money very evenly according to everybody? Like everybody make, you know, X amount of money. Because God says, no, this guy's coming to this world for this reason and this guy's coming to this world for this reason and this guy's coming to this world for the fourth time for that reason and so on and so forth. There's so many things that, that come that, that are coming into the calculation. So what we see is a small picture. There's so much benefit to our situation that we don't even begin to see it. That the Vilna Gaon tells us that if it wasn't for suffering, we would be completely at loss in Olam Abba, in the world to come. And that's why the Satma Rebbe, would, if someone went and asked him for a bracha, for a blessing, he would say, you're coming to me for a blessing? He says, go find a Jew who has a number on his arm, meaning a Jew that went through the Holocaust. He says, you go and you get him to give you a blessing. Because suffering, well, why do you say that? Suffering cleanses a person. It purifies a person. It brings a person to another level. It brings a person so much, so to speak, in the next world. Now, with that introduction, we could, just, we could start to begin to understand how are we going to go and prevent difficulties, prevent sufferings in our life. When a person has a lot of goodness in this world, um, you know, Rabbi Shimshim goes and explains the effect of the goodness in this world has an effect of distancing us, moving us away from God. The Chassam Sofer once related a very comical but sad but true, uh, you know, you know, situation where somebody was constantly bothering the Chassam Sofer, constantly, constantly making him tremendous amount of trouble. And the Chassam Sofer goes and says, I don't know why he hates me. I never did him a favor. And that was his line. That's a brilliant line. Meaning that, when you do someone a lot of good, that's when all of a sudden, you know, they hurt you more. And that's all of a sudden, they, there's like more difficulties that come in. And what happens is when we receive an abundance of goodness from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, from God, it's liable, it, it causes us to grow distance from God. But what happens when suffering comes along? When suffering comes along, all of a sudden it helps us bring us back closer to God. You look at where there are churches and synagogues more in the world, they're more in the poor places than in the wealthy places. The places that have, you know, financial freedom, they have the places that are doing very well financially, not everybody. Again, this, I'm not making a blanket statement on, on everybody, just like, you know, uh, I'm generalizing in a non-generalizing way, which I do quite often. So, you look at it, especially when you look at, you know, the, let's say in the secular, in the non-Jewish world. Churches, there are more churches in poor areas than there are in wealthy areas. The question is why? It should be just the opposite. If someone gets so much goodness from God, he should be like, you know what, God, thank you so much. Let me go praise God, even though it's a false God, even though it's fake. But let me just go and praise God. Why is it in the difficulties people come closer to God? And the answer is that's how it works. <laughs> Unfortunately, the way that people go, that if we have good things happen to us, we attribute to ourselves. And when we have bad things happen to us, we try to blame somebody else. You look at that, you know, in, in politics. When good things happen, we try to say, yeah, it's all us. We're working very hard. We're successful. When bad things happen, it's the president's fault. It's not my president. Oh, if only there was a different president here, then I would be successful. Then I would be happy. Then this country will run normal. I'm like, stop. We tend to put the benefit, the good only to our, to our thing, but we like to blame the bad for somewhere else. So what happens is, is that if there's bad and you're able to blame, so we start, you know, looking at places to blame. And all of a sudden you say, wait a minute, there's God. So sometimes, you know, it's interesting the way that it works is that it would, you know, people start getting angry at God. Why do you do that to me? But then over a period of time, all of a sudden that anger, if it's dealt correctly, it turns into like an appreciation and realization that there is a God. All of a sudden that suffering brings you closer in a sense to God. 
And says Rav Shem Shem Pinkus, you want to know what the greatest skula, the greatest thing to prevent from suffering? He goes and he says, to know how to receive God's goodness. If you know how to gain closeness to God to, through the goodness, then guess what? There will be no need for suffering. The reason for suffering is to make you come closer to God. But if you go and you're able to get that closest to God without that suffering, so there's no need for the suffering. There's no reason for suffering so we can be able to go and prevent it. So Abshur Shabika says here something very, very important. And that's number one over here that we're going to be speaking tonight. The skula, you want to know a, 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 the best way to go and prevent suffering? is to make sure that God doesn't need to send you suffering. And how do you do that? If you know how to say thank you for whatever income that God has given us, if you know how to say thank you for whatever health God has given us, if you're able to say thank you for whatever family God has given us, or lack thereof, then we could go and say, you know what? You know me. I don't have to go and remind you. If we could only remember God, then there's no reason that God should go and take things away from us to go and remind us to remember God. The Basukh Te'elim, chapter 137, verse 1, it says, On the rivers of Babylon, There we sat, there we wept when we remembered Tzion, we remembered Yerushalayim, we remembered the Bet HaMikdash. Yirmiyahu goes and says, These are the Jewish people crying after the destruction of the Bet HaMikdash. You know what Yirmiyahu, the prophet, goes and says? He says, If you would have cried just once while you were still in Tzion, while you're still in Israel, you would have not been exiled. The purpose of the suffering is that so that people would go and cry to God. If we would have cried earlier, there would no, be no reason to bring them to Bavel. So sometimes, a sort of a speak, a premature cry can prevent a more severe future cry that's needed. If we would only wake up and realize what God wants for us, there would be no reason for God to send us a wake-up call. I want to share with you a, a you know a story that happened with Rav Shimshon Pigas, and I'm again I am saying this is what Rav Shimshon Pigas brings us down in his book. It's un- only only like a tzaddik could say that like this. It's something that you have to have such uh, you know uh, just just bear with me. Just listen to this. It's crazy. So I'm, I I read it. I'm like this is there. You have to have guts to say this because I've I've been dealing in similar situations, but you know, and I'm very blunt. But I couldn't I couldn't do something like, well, the way that Rav Shimshon Pigas did. Maybe that's something I have to work on, or maybe not. I don't know. So the story goes as follows. There was a very, very bad car accident. And there was an irreligious 18-year-old kid that was killed. And this kid, his mother, for the first time in her life, she came to shul. She came to the synagogue. And she went and she asked the rabbi. She asked Rabbi Shem She says, why did God do this to me? She didn't say it as a question, he says. She said it as a complaint. So, Rav Shem goes and he says, you know, he goes and he says, I, I wanted to answer her bluntly. And he said, I started off saying, please forgive me. I don't want to add to your pain. But I feel that it is important for what I'm about to say. And he goes on, says Rav Shem and he says, for 18 years, you have enjoyed this child. Did you ever ask once, why did God give this to you? Why did God give me this present of this beautiful child? Says Rav Shem perhaps if you had once said thank you to God, he would have not have taken away your son. And then he said, he repeated, he says, please understand, I know that you're in a lot of pain. And I don't want to torment you, but please take my words to heart. There are so many good things that you have. Start asking why you have them. Why do I have other children? Why do I have the privilege of being able to open up a prayer break and pray to God? Why do I have the ability to breathe, to eat, to have a roof over my shoulder, over my head, to have a car, to have whatever it is? Start asking why I have so many good things. 
And it says Rabbi Shimshim Pinkus, if you do this, God will have no reason to take away these gifts from you. We have to bring ourselves close to God. And if we bring ourselves close to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, then we will, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, God will not need to stir us up any storms to bring us closer to Him. Says, it's a, such a, such a fundamental thing. And I, you know, when I've spoken to people in that situation, I've, I've like bordered that, but I haven't said the way that he, like, and I'm a blunt person, you know, like I, I know that I'm a blunt person and I actually try to like down the bluntness, you know, in certain situations. But when the truth needs to be said, the truth needs to be said. And that's the bottom line. You know, we have to stop for a second and think, you know, why? Do we have so much good? Let us start appreciating what the good. We we always start with so many complaints, so much, such a list that we have for God to like you know like please do this X Y and Z and it's great we should keep on doing that. But how many times do we stop and have a little bit of hakatatov, a little bit of gratitude, and say you know what God, you know like you give me so much stuff that I don't deserve. You, you're so awesome. Like I love you. Like you do so much for me. Like that's the relationship that we have to build upon. If we build upon that then God will not have to send us anything to bring us to that. That is a, such a beautiful way to prevent suffering. Now, he goes on and says, every human being on earth, the way that he says it, it's like almost comical. Every human being on earth with minimal intelligence, meaning the lowest of the rank, you know, the people that don't use their brain all the time, can know that God exists. But Judaism teaches something else. Judaism teaches that not only God exists, but we're able to have a personal relationship with God. And this is why when, when HaKadosh Baruch Hu went and he said that, that, I am your God that took you out of Mitzrayim. I took you out of Egypt. Why? Why does it say, why is it so important that God took us out? Because there's a personal relationship that's going on over here. And it's so important for us to know, especially during hard times, that we have God. It's not, it's not a business relationship. Like you do this and you get this. No, no, no. It's not. It's a relationship of love. It's a connection to God that if we able to achieve a close connection, we don't have to have a slap to go and bring us to that close connection. And if we do need a slap from God, then it's our own fault. It's very unfortunate. It's our own fault that we need it. So says our Biggest, if we could stir up upon ourselves to appreciate our daily life, to realize where all our blessings come from, the greatest of all schoolot will be for the happiness to continue because we know where it's coming from and we could see what it, you know, where, where it's, where it's, what its source is and, and where our connection should be. The Naradlin, the spies in Devarim chapter 1 verse 27 says that they went and they said, Bisinat Hashem Otanu Anu that God's hatred for us took us out of Egypt. What does that mean that God's hatred for us? Rashi goes and explains with the Mashal that there was a king who had two sons and two fields. One field was easily irrigated. It, you know, rained a lot over there. There was a river nearby. Whatever it was, it was very easily irrigated. Uh, you know, and then you had another son that it was not easily irrigated. It, it was very difficult to get the, to get water to, to, to help the plants grow. So to the son that he loved, he gave what? The one that was easily irrigated, he gave that one to that, to the, to the good son, so to speak, to the son that he had a connection to, to the son that he loved. To the son that he, you know, like the one that's like, uh, you know, like, how did he, where did he come from? That son, he gave the, the, you know, the bad field. So too, complained Bnei Israel. They went and says, God must have hated us. He took us out of Egypt. Egypt had the Nile. The Nile irrigates every time it overflows and it, and it goes into the land and it irrigates the land. It was amazing. It, it, the crops that, that grew were so healthy, so, so amazing, so delicious because the water was constant over there. However, look at Eretz Yisrael. Eretz Yisrael, Israel, it depends on rain. 
So it's not always, you know, easily irrigated. There's, there's times where, you know, it doesn't rain. At times where the crops don't come out so good. So it looks, so to speak, that God hated us. He took us out of Egypt, where everything was amazing, so to speak. Um, and then he brought us into Eretz Canaan. He brought us into Eretz Israel, in a place where, you know, things are not as easily, you know, uh, plantable and easily grown as it was in Egypt. Says Rabbi Yitzhak, Dweck. And he goes and says, that what happens when a person is, you know, didn't sleep enough and they're driving? And unfortunately, I've been in the situation and you don't want to be in the situation where you're driving and you're exhausted. So if you're driving and it's a straight road, it's very easy to like feel even drowsier because you're just like standing straight, you know, and you're sitting straight and you just like keep your eyes open, trying to go. And again, I recommend if anybody's in that situation, pull over, find a motel, whatever, go to sleep. But imagine you're sitting over there, you're, you're stuck, but it, but imagine you're going and you're driving and you have to constantly turn, you have to constantly make rights and left and you have to turn over here, turn over there. So when the more movements that you have, the more curves that you have, the more, the, the more likely you are to stay awake. But if you're staying straight and you're constantly in the same situation, then you're likely to fall asleep. So what did God do to us? God made sure that we wouldn't fall asleep. If God would have left us in Egypt and that would have been the chosen land, that would have been the holy land, what would have happened? Then we would have been, okay, you know, we're, we're going straight. We don't have to do anything. You know, the Nile goes over, it overflows, it does all the work for us. We don't have to do anything. But all of a sudden, you go to Israel. Israel, there's twists and turns, not besides the roads. It's also the, the way of life over there. You have to constantly, it's, you, many people live there based on miracles. They constantly have to pray to God. They constantly have to count on Emunah. They constantly have to do the X, Y, and Z. There's so many things that they have to work on. Why is God doing this to us? I thought God loves us. And the answer is, because God loves you, He's making sure you don't fall asleep at the wheel. He's making sure that you're staying awake. He's, he's throwing us these curveballs to make sure that we realize what the road is on and not fall asleep. Don't get into an accident. And the Hassam suffer goes, and explains, he says, why did God go? It says in Devarim chapter 4, verse 38, it says that when God put the people, the nations in the world, in Eretz Yisrael, before we were there, He put there, goim gdolim imcha. There was a great nation, stronger than you. Ask some so for why are you putting stronger nations in a land that you promised Abraham centuries earlier? Just go and, you know, put weak nations there. So when the time the Jews come, you know, we're just like, hey, you know, we're here, you know. Please go. Why does it have to be huge nations, strong nations, that is a battle and it's difficult and you have to go through all these difficulties? And the answer is, is that God wanted to know and remind you that everything here stems from God. And the Chassam Sofer goes and explains this so beautifully, this answer, through the Bracha the, 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 the blessing that we make of Borei Nefashot. And in Borei Nefashot, we go, we go and we say that God goes and He does a great amount of kindness. And you use an example that, you know, the, the kindness, let's say someone's very thirsty and they take a drink and God, quench, the, the water quenches your thirst. So God did something so amazing. He created water. He created the, 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 you know, thirst and then we drink it and we feel so like, you know, like, oh, it's so better. Like there's sometimes when you're so thirsty, there's nothing better than just the plain water. And that's such a kindness, such a chesed from God. But the question is why? Like how is that a chesed? God is the one who made us thirsty to begin with. Why give us the deficiencies and then give us the solution afterwards? Just remove the deficiencies. Why are we going and we're blessing God for the deficiencies? And that's what we're really doing. We say, We're going, we're saying, you created, we're saying, you created, you created numerous living things with what? With many deficiencies. Why are we thanking God for creating many deficiencies? What's the purpose of this? And the answer is that when when we go and we have a deficiency, 
then we can realize the source of what we have to be thankful for. We have to realize the source, okay, you know what? Like, you make a Baha'i, make a blessing. Look how much I appreciate God now. Now I can take a drink. Now I can go to the bathroom. Now I have the ability to do X, Y, and Z. Now you can go, because of our deficiencies, we could be able to go and see God. We could be able to go and appreciate God. And this is the meaning behind the difficulty that God sent in front of Bnei Israel in Eretz Israel. God wanted to recognize the kindness, the chesed of, of God. If we would have gone, and it would have been weak nations in Israel, and we would have just taken them over, we would have thought it's our strength. But once we have to start relying on God, that's God reminding us, remember of who's in charge over here. Remember of what you have to be thankful for. So that's the beautiful blessing that we make of Bulein Fashot. We're saying, God, thank you for the deficiencies. Because if not for the deficiencies, we would have been a straight road. If we would have been a straight road, we would have fell asleep. Before we would have fell asleep, who knows what would have happened. That's a car accident. You know what a car accident is? It's a wake-up call. It's, you got to wake up. you got to go and do something else with your life. So God prevented for us. God gave us a hint on how to prevent the suffering in our life. And what's that hint? The hint's all in throughout our blessings throughout the day. Look at how many things we have to be thankful for. And if we take that to mind for a second, and then we say, okay, wait a minute, we have to be thankful for X, Y, and Z, then all of a sudden that will bring us to a level that we don't need God to send us that wake-up call because we're already woken up. We're already, we know what we're, where everything is coming from. The Gemara in Sanhedrin, page 101a, brings down the story from Menashe. Menashe, as Rabbi Akiva goes and says, Menashe was 12 years old. His father was King Chizkiyahu. He taught, King Chizkiyahu taught everybody Torah. Uh, like, it was, the level of the Jewish people were, were so high that it, it was, like, Mashiach almost came during that time. So you have such a high level of Torah, you know, and, and Menashe, he became king when he was 12 years old, and he did so much evil. So much evil in the eyes of God. Now, the question is, what happened? Didn't his father teach him Torah? Of course the father, his father taught him. His father taught the entire Jewish nation Torah. But what happened with Menashe? He didn't change. He, he ruled for so many years. For so many years. And what happened was, is that only, what woke him up? When he went through suffering, when he went through troubles and tribulations, when he went through afflictions, all of a sudden that's what woke him up. He got captured by the enemy, and when he got captured by the enemy, he tried to pray for every single god, it didn't work. Eventually he prayed to God, and that went and he saved him. How did he come? For 55 years he reigned and he lived in, in a, a life of sin. God, you know, he had a tremendous amount of, of, of stuff going for him. He's a king of Israel at a very, very powerful point in time in Jewish history. He had a lot of things going for him, but what? He didn't see God. But when did he start seeing God? All of a sudden, when the suffering came, that's when he started seeing God. That's when he started coming closer. Says Rabbi Matasiahu Solomon. He says, God sends historic events that shake the world. He goes and he says, you know, you look at the, the Twin Towers. When the Twin Towers were, were struck, people were so scared. Forget about the fact that people didn't want to go on planes. People were afraid to go out of their homes. People were stuck at home. So what did the governments come out? What did the, the you know, all the, the leaders came out? The leaders came out and says, you know what? Go back to the way that it was before. Go back to your normal life. Don't worry about it. You have to continue your normal life. That's the secular approach. But that's not the Torah approach. That's not the way that we approach things. That if God sends us events that shake up the world, if God sends us events that shake up our own lives, don't go back to normal after that. We have to go forward with some sort of change. Be like, why did God do this? Like, maybe I need to change something. Maybe I need to fix something. Maybe I need to grow somewhere. Do something else. When we left Egypt, God could have very easily taken the Jewish people out of Egypt with like one thing. But he dragged it out for months. Why? 
God did certain things, and, and this happens not only in the exodus of, of Egypt, but this happens throughout the entire history of the world. That God sends misfortune into the world so that people would wake up. So that people would be able to take notice and do tshuva and get closer to God. This is something that we hear throughout history. If towers are toppled and nations are destroyed and there's so much you know, coronavirus going around, there's a reason that God's saying, wake up, fear me, hear me, listen to my Torah, come close to me. It's all a wake-up call. It's all something that we have to, you know, look into ourselves. And what happens, very unfortunate, if we don't listen, if we don't listen to the messages that God gives us, then it's something very unfortunate happens. Those messages get louder. And we don't want louder messages. The Mgama and Bachot, page 5a, goes and says a very famous line that we've mentioned again and again. And that is that, if a person sees shi'isurim ba'in alav, that person sees suffering coming close to them, yifashfesh b'masav. Go and look at your deeds and see what's going on. And the Gemara over there goes and brings down a very famous story. We mentioned this before, a story with Rav Huna. Rav Huna had 400 casks of wine and they went bad. So, you know, he went over, the rabbis went over and they said, you know, it must be you, did you do something wrong? He says, wait a minute, are you saying that I'm doing something wrong? You know, like what's going on? What do you, why, why would you think that? And he says, what? so the rabbis are talking, do you think God did something wrong? He said, God did this to you, there must be a reason. So the Rafuna goes and says, it must be that you have something on your mind, so tell me. Tell me what you think I did wrong. So they go and they say, you know, we heard that uh, you haven't been just with your tenant farmer. So Rafuna goes and says, my tenant farmer? He is someone that steals me blind. He goes and he, and he robs from me. He says, I should, you know, I, I should treat him well. So they respond to them and says, someone who steals from a thief has a taste of thievery. I mean, don't steal from a thief. Don't, you know, like, you do the correct thing, don't worry about what he has to do. So Rav Huna goes, he heard the, the, you know, what they said, and he said, fine, you know what? From now on, I take upon myself to, to, to treat him well and return, return everything that he, whatever he's deserving. And what happened over there? All of a sudden, the 400 barrels of the 400 casks of wine, there's, there's, there's a difference in machlokat of opinion. Either they reverted from sour wine back to, back to good wine, or it went and it, because it became like a vinegary, the vinegar of the value of vinegar jumped up and he was able to make the same amount of money had it would have been, uh, had it would have been wine. Meaning that what do we see over here? That if someone has difficulties, and you could realize, you could pinpoint the spiritual reason, the spiritual deficiency of why there's that difficulty, you remove that difficulty. You're sort of like looking for the root. The Rabbi Saul Salanter, one time, he had a, you know, there was a container of milk that spilled in his home. So Rabbi Saul Salanter turned over to his wife and says, why did this milk spill? Now he wasn't asking like that, you know, <laughs> like, excuse me, why do you spill over here, huh? You know, he's like, you know, there's a reason for your butterfingers. He wasn't asking, he was saying, why did we do wrong that we caused this loss of a spill? What happened over here? So the wife thought for a second and she said, you know what? Last week I forgot to give the money for the milkman. So she was able to pinpoint, they were able to pinpoint of like why they have the problem and the reason for that based on the spiritual deficiencies and they were able to fix it. Now again, we might not be on the level to determine precisely why each suffering, each problem happens in our life. But it still brings us to think, okay, there must be a reason of why we need to do something. And that is the Torah way of dealing with it. We have to realize that if suffering happens, then we have to do something about it. We have to fix it. And there's generally three ways to look when difficulties happen. And the way it goes is it was a story. There was a grandmother who saw that her grandchild was in a very tough position in life. Had a lot of problems, a lot of issues. So the grandmother calls over this grandchild 
and she takes out three pots and she puts water in each pot and she starts boiling them. And in the first pot, she takes and she puts a carrot inside. The second pot, she puts an egg inside. The third pot, she puts coffee beans inside. And she brings over the granddaughter and says, you know, there are three types of people in this world. That when you raise the heat in their lives, when you cause troubles and problems in their life, they each react differently. You have the carrot person. What's a carrot person? That when you turn up the heat and you put a carrot in, a carrot in hot water, it gets softer. It gets mushier. The more that you stay over there, the softer that it gets. You take an egg and you put it in hot water and boiled water, what happens? It gets harder. The longer, the more that you cook it, the harder it gets. And what happens when you put coffee inside boiling water? It not only changes itself, but it changes the water around it. There's all of a sudden a sweet-smelling, pleasant-smelling coffee that's coming out, coming into the ear. You have people that, when they have difficulties, they become like a carrot. They become very soft. Not saying anyone is bad. You have people that they're like an egg person. They become very tough when bad things happen. And then you have the coffee people. The coffee people are the people that not only change themselves, they change the surrounding. You realize all three of these things, they all changed. It's not about, you know, change is going to happen. It's to, when you're going through something, you're going to change some way or somehow. But the question is, how are you going to change? Are you going to get hard? Are you going to get soft? Or are you going to change your surrounding and make everything sweet smelling? like a coffee. So the question that you have to ask yourself, and when things get hard, when things get difficult, when the heat turns up, are you a carrot, are you an egg, or are you a coffee? I'll tell you the answer. You want to be a coffee. You want to be that when things start heating up, not only you change yourself, but the surrounding starts changing. The surrounding starts getting better. And this is the way of the Torah. This is the way we look at the sky menu in Bereshit chapter 25, verse 22. It says that Rivka had the twins in her, in her, in her womb. She had Yaakov and Esav, and it says, what the Pasuk says, and they were going and they were struggling within her. So what did they do? Says the Arachim, she went, she went and she started saying, why is God doing it? Says the Arachim, what's going on over here? She desired a child so much. And now it appears that God is sort of like taking away her chance. Like, what's going on with, with the children inside of her? It must be a message from something from God. So she went over to the rabbi and says, what do I need to do? Maybe I need to fix something. Maybe I need to change something. And that's the way the Gemara tells us whenever a person has trouble in life, they have to go and examine their deeds and look at what they need to change. The question that people often ask is, what do I need to change? So what? What do I need to do? How do I need to change? The Baal Shem Tov brings down something very fascinating. He brings down three different scenarios. If someone has suffering, grief, problems with one's children, this stems from a blemish in the neshama. And the neshama corresponds to the thought. Because that seed origin, originates in the brain. So when a person suffers from his children, it's measure for measure to help him realize that he must recon, rec, rectify something in his thoughts. What happens, says the, the Baal Shem Tov, in category number two. Category number two is someone who has troubles with one's spouse, with one's wife. That's a blemish in the ruach, in the spirit. That corresponds to speech. That means that you have to fix something in your speech. And finally, says the Baal Shantav, what happens if someone has financial difficulties? If someone has financial difficulties, that's the blemish in the nefesh. And that corresponds to deeds. That means that you have to fix something in your deeds, in your masim, in your actions that you have to fix. And many times we could say, okay, fine, maybe we need to you know, use this formula from the Baal Shantav and plug it in. But other times we don't know what we have to fix. And that is what we have to go and pray to God. God, help me. Let me know what I need to fix. Let me know what I want, what I need to be to, to get better. Now again, when bad things happen, again, you have to do the normal ishtadlut. If it's health issues, seek medical attention. But don't forget the most important aspect. Go and search your deeds. 
I want to share with you something amazing from Atasiyahu Salman. Um, and this is something that I, I mentioned when we first started the Emunah series, that there are certain aspects that I'll repeat again and again. And the reason for that is, is that there are lessons, different lessons to be learned, or the lessons are so important that it's, it's so important to hear it again and again. Now, this is, a, this is a story that we mentioned before. It's a story from the Gemara in Shabbat, page 156b. And it's a story of Rabbi Akiva's daughter. Rabbi Akiva's daughter... When she, was, when she was born, the stargazers told her that she's going to die on her wedding day. And the night before her wedding, everything was like going crazy. And she was given a little, you know, a little meal to go and sit in the quiet corner so that she could eat before she goes to sleep because she has a big day tomorrow. She's getting married. As she's going into her corner to eat, she notices a knock on the door. And nobody else is, is opening up because everybody's so busy. She opens up, she sees a poor man and says, Oh, I'm starving, please. I haven't eaten in so long. Can you please give me something to eat? And here she is, she's holding a plate of food. And she's also very hungry. And she has a big day tomorrow and she needs to eat it. This is the only thing that she has to eat. And she goes and she says, you know what? And she gives a plate of food to the poor person. And the poor person goes and eats the food. That night, before she goes to sleep, she takes out a pin out of her hair. And she sticks it into the wall for safekeeping for tomorrow. That, the next morning, she goes, she takes the pin out, and what comes out of the pin to attach to it was a poisonous steak. She screeches, she screams, you know, everybody starts running, Rabbi Kiva starts running, says, what's, what's happened, my daughter? What's going on? And she says, look, there's a snake in my room, there's a snake attached to the pin. And Rabbi Kiva saw that, and he, and he realized what happened over here. And he says, my daughter, did you do something? Did you do something special that saved you from the snake? And the daughter didn't have to think too much. She said, last night there was a poor person that came in and he needed some food. So I gave him my plate of food. And Rabbi Kiva goes and says, Here we see charity saves from death. From this story, the Gemara proves that there's no mazal, there's no astrological you know, power towards, towards the Jewish people. Meaning that Jewish people could go above it. And this is something we mentioned before. Rabbi Eliyahu goes and says that, that, that the Gemara over here discloses something very important. Something so important over here, that God gives an opportunity to a person to perform a particular mitzvah that is needed at a particular time. Meaning that this girl needed a special saving. She needed a special mitzvah. So what happened was that God arranged it that this poor man would come at that particular time. And when that poor man came at that particular time, she needed that, and then she went and she, she needed that merit. And now God, she gave over that plate of food, and all of a sudden, got, she had that merit to be saved. This is such an important aspect that I can't mention enough. I'll repeat this a thousand times if I need to. And you should know, I don't like repeating things. But this is so important so important because we change the way that we live our lives if we think like this. If we think that no matter, all of a sudden we come according, uh, you know, into some sort of test. And if we stop for a second, we think, you know what? Maybe God is saving, sending me this test right now to prevent me from other suffering that's happening. And that's what God does. God will send you. God will send you an opportunity to prevent suffering from the future. But you have to capitalize on that. You have to stop for a second and say, you know what? Like, I have a very difficult situation right now. What should I do? How should I deal with it? How can I go on in life? And if you stop for a second and be like, you know what? Maybe God is sending me this so that I can overcome it. Maybe God is sending me this so that I could go and get the merit that I need to prevent any suffering. This is how Rabbi Lapan goes and explains it. And says it's so important that in life, 
you know, there's so many ways and opportunities that we have that we could prevent difficulties. If only we capitalize on the moments that we have. People will come knocking on your door. They want charity. People are going to come. It's going to be hot and you're going to have a test of tzniut. It's going to be difficult and you need, you know, you need to learn. You need to wake up for going to Minyan. You need to go and you have to prevent yourself from doing, you know, Lashon Ara. You have to prevent yourself from looking at things that you're not supposed to. There's so many opportunities that happen in our lives that comes at the perfect time. If we capitalize on that, you don't know how much suffering you're preventing from yourself. We have to go and we have to cap- capitalize on that. So we spoke over here so far on two aspects. Number one, to prevent suffering is the gratitude. Hakarata tov that you need to have. The more that you appreciate God, the more that you appreciate all the goodness in your life, the less that God has to take it away and wake you up because you're awake. And number two is we know when bad things happen, there's a reason. It's for that you should do tshuva. So you want to know how to prevent it is don't come to a situation where you need to do this huge tshuva. Do the tshuva before the suffering comes. Meaning, there are many people that take like, uh, you know, especially vitamins. Vitamins to prevent any issues from coming, you know, later on. And I'm not saying bad or good, whatever. You know, whatever you want to do, you know, may God, you know, only send you a tremendous amount of success and bracha and health. But you could do that also spiritually. You could take spiritual vitamins. Do the good things that you need to do. Do the mitzvot. And if you have to do tshuva, do it before bad things happen. Do it before you need it, because that's going to prevent the badness from happening. Says Rabbeinu Yonah in Sharei Tshuva, something so amazing, that if a person accepts upon himself to perform, a cert- to perform a certain mitzvah, he receives all the merit as if he already did it. Meaning that if you go and you say, you know what, I'm going to go and I'm going to exp- you know, accept upon myself that for the next 10 years, I'm going to be dressing modestly. I'm going to accept upon myself for the next 10 years, I'm praying with a minyan. I'm going and I'm accepting upon myself that for the next X, Y, and Z, I am doing this mitzvah. You know what happens right then and there? Right then and there, you get reward as if you, you were, did already for 10 years. You get in one second, reward for 10 years. Look at the amazing thing. So when we do tshuva, when we go and we look at our deeds, when we go and we look at ways to go and, and correct ourselves, we're not just you know, helping us. We're helping ourselves for so much. We're getting so much merit into our plate without, with just a, a thought process, with just a few words of saying, you know what, I'm going to start doing this, X, Y, and Z. There was a story from Rabbi Abelimelech. The, there was a grandchild of the, the, the rabbi, Rabbi, Rabbi Simcha Hakon Rappaport. It was the Av Bezdin of Lublin. And this grandson became deathly ill. The doctors have given up hope. And the patient's mother begged her husband to go and allow her to go to travel to Rabbi Elimelech. Now, Rabbi Elimelech was, you know, was a Hasidic rabbi. Now, the grandson was a misnaget. Misnaget, he was an opponent of Hasidus. So we're not going to get into the history of Hasidus now, but there were people in the beginning when it's first, you know, getting started, people were not so into that whole Hasidus thing and there were, there were opponents towards it. But under the circumstances, he told his mother, fine, you want to go on my behalf, you could go on my behalf. So she goes over to the Rebbe. And she writes a kvittel. She writes a, like a little, uh, you know, note uh, to the rabbi regarding this, you know, her her son's name, the sick man's name, and the name of the mother and for Washtama. And the rabbi goes and tells her that if she wants her son to recover, she has to promise that once he regains his strength, he's going to come and be a guest by the rabbi for Shabbat. So she says, of course, yeah, I promise, yeah. If he, you know, he comes, uh, you know, he, he's gonna if he if he goes and he if he is going to have a Washtama, complete recovery, he's going to be a guest for you for Shabbat. So the rabbi goes and says, fine, I'm going to give you a sign as a proof that he will be healed. 
When you go back, there's going to be three expert physicians, three expert doctors that are all going to declare that there's going to be no hope left for your son. And they're all going to leave. And then one would come back and say, you know what? And he's going to write her a prescription for that son. And that person, and that, from that prescription, the, 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 the son will, will recover. But the doctor who wrote the prescription would die suddenly. So she goes home, and the events happen exactly as the rabbi described. She comes home, the three doctor, the three specialists says, I'm sorry, there's nothing that we can do. They all leave. One comes back and says, oh, you know what? There's one thing that you could, you know, take this medicine. He goes, he starts taking the medicine, starts getting better. A short while after that, this doctor, you know, you know, passes away. So, after all this happened, you know, he gets better, this, this, this son, and he goes and he visits this Rebbe, Rebbe Elmelech. And the Rebbe goes over to him and he says, you know, that the reason why you had this suffering is that when you were younger, you studied philosophical works dealing with heresy, things kfirah, things against the belief of God. And this resulted in the loss of faith in God and the Torah. So the illness was a manifestation of the spiritual weakness that you brought to yourself. The root cause of this has to be purged, has to be cleaned. And he went and he did a few things with the, with uh, you know, with uh, with this person, you know, among them going to the mikvah and so on and so forth. And the rabbi, which was the son over here, goes and he he felt like all of a sudden all the questions, all the doubts that he had, all of a sudden you know disappeared. And this is something very very important that when somebody goes and and violates God's will. You can't expect God's assistance if you're not listening to God. You can't, ex- you know, of course, God is merciful and God will prevent suffering, whatever. I wish only the good for everybody. But at the end of the day, you can't accept all the good things for happening if you're not listening to God. You know, when people go and they study Kfira, they study all these philosophical works. Yes, the Torah has answers for everything. Yes, we were able to go and prove from X, Y, and Z. But why do you go and bring yourself into that situation? I have people that you know, I deal with almost on a weekly basis. That they go and they start asking me questions. Oh, this kofel, this, you know, atheist says X, Y, and Z. How do you answer this? And I go and I answer. Then I say, but why are you listening to, you know, we've been through this before. We've answered all your questions. Why aren't you not moving on? Why are you keep on circling back? So there's two people, there's two types of people that look for the truth. There are people that look for the truth and once they hear the truth, they say, you know what, I got it. And the other people that keep on digging for other problems. There are people that go and they study things that they're not supposed to be studying, right? Not because there's no answers, but just because it just brings doubt into your mind. You know, it's, it's the same thing that, you know, like, there are people, let's say, that deal with conspiracies. And there are people that are completely, like, they think conspiracy theorists are crazy. But if those people that think that conspiracy, th- pe- the conspiracy theories are crazy, if they constantly listen to people that speak about conspiracies, and they constantly, you know, read about it, eventually it'll be like, you know what? Well, it can make some sense. Meaning that even things that you know may not be true, the more that you read about it, the more that you, you know, you just learn about it, it, it just seeps into you. It's sort of the way that things that your surrounding sort of like dwells in you, whether you want to believe it or not, it's sort of like it, it infiltrates your inside. It infiltrates you. So if you go and you're doing things that are not for God, even as much as going and studying, you know, philosophical works that, that, you know, are kfira, are heresy, are, are things that are against God. That itself can bring so, so much problem, so much suffering. Yes, there are answers. And yes, you know, this is one of the reasons why I went and I have, you know, presented 32 classes in the Divinity Series to try to go and answer all these things. But that's not so somebody should go and go study the, these Kfirah things. They study for that. The reason is that there's answers for everything. There's answers for everything. But where are you? What's your, what's your source? Where are you going to? You want to go put yourself into troubled water? Then guess what? Troubled water brings troubles. 
But if you go and you wake up a little bit and you, you, you prevent that, that, that problem by realizing what I need to do and what I don't need to do. So what happens is over here, we see over here, we finish with this thought, that if you know the reason of why suffering comes from, then you could play one step ahead of the game and prevent it. Suffering generally comes because we need to wake up. But if you're awakened up, generally, suffering doesn't need to come. You want to prevent it? Do tshuva now. You want to prevent it? Start having some akaratatov. Start having some gratitude. Start having some, some thankfulness to God. Be like, you know what? Start appreciating what God does for us. God is so amazing. Yes, everybody goes through difficulties and we don't want any difficulties. But even when you're going through difficulties, stop for a second and say thank you to God. And I'm going to tell you something that I tell uh, you know, everybody so many times. Every day, you should say five things that you're thankful to God for. Just start being grateful. You'll start appreciating things. And when you start appreciating things, God will say, you know what, you appreciate it. I don't have to take it away from you. Enjoy it. And not only enjoy it, hear some more. So with that, we'll open up for some questions. And I see we have already a few questions over here. If anybody wants, they could post questions on the chat. Okay. Question number one. I have a question that's related to what you said before the shear, uh, before the shear started. If someone's allowed to think Torah thoughts or ideas in the bathroom or in the shower, I know it's not so appropriate, but if a person tries to think such thoughts at all times, then those thoughts pop in. So that's a good question. Yeah, you're not supposed to... The question is, what should you do in the bathroom? You're not supposed to be thinking Torah thoughts in the bathroom. Um... But if you're constantly, you know, if someone's constantly thinking about Torah, then it's like sort of like when you're constantly thinking about something, that's when when you're even when you're not thinking about it, it sort of like pops into your head. Like, let's say, for example, somebody is like, I don't know, they're obsessing about, let's say, a vacation that they're going to go on and they're planning it for months and all day, all night. That's all they think about. So what happens? Eventually, like they start dreaming about this stuff. Like it, it becomes ingrained in them. So when someone's constantly learning Torah, when they go to the bathroom, you know they can't help it, but the, the thoughts pop into your head. So the, we're not going to get into all the halachot and what and exactly you're not supposed to go and think in the, in the bathroom, but you should refrain from thinking any Torah thoughts, especially related to God, in the bathroom. And that's why you know there's other things that the the, the concept of controlling your thoughts is very difficult. You can't prevent other thoughts from entering so to speak, but you could conjure up your own thoughts. So that's why a lot of like the, the sages tell us that let's say you think about math problems or you think about other things. And that's why you have some, some great rabbis, even during our times, you know what they read in the bathroom? They read, you know, uh, you know, I don't know, they read, um, physics. They read chemistry in the bathroom because they want to stimulate the mind to different things so they don't think about Torah. Okay. Next question. If someone wants to move to El Israel, should they be thinking that Hashem will send them more troubles there than if they lived somewhere else? So, it, it, this is a very popular question now regarding moving, and um, especially to Al Tisa because of all the problems, uh, not even for coronavirus, but just like general issues that have been going on throughout the world, um, especially in America, that when one goes to Al Tisrael, this is, you know, something that it's, you know, it does come with difficulties. It does come with difficulties. Um, but what will happen if there'll be more troubles or less troubles? It's hard to say. You know, people that lived in, in certain areas that's very anti-Semitic, they went to Al Tisrael and it was, it was much better. Um, and there's some people that went and had a very, very hard time. In general, when someone wants to make that big of a step, if they're single or if they're married even, but they don't have a young, you know, they don't have any children, then it's a much easier step. But if you have already children over there, I would strongly recommend to speak to your local Orthodox rabbi on what will be the smartest option option to do and how to do it. Um, okay. 
the oh, and this is another. I guess is a comment. Wow, I just wanted to share hashgachat Hashem. I wanted to learn the meaning of boy and fashat for a few weeks now, but didn't get around to do it. And you just fed this straight to us. <laughs> okay, good. I'm happy that uh, it was, uh, um, uh, you know, that was directed at you. Maybe that was directly for you. Okay, next question. I understand that if there's something bad that happens, one has to think why and work on themselves. But in a way, don't people have to go back? To the way things were, and then the phobias and the fears then get worse and hinder a person. So that's an excellent point. Thank you for bringing that up. Um, that if somebody goes and someone has a situation that they're dealing with, you never want to move on with life as regular. You want to go and wake up and change your life. But then the question arises, but what happens if it, if it arises with some phobia and fears? So, for example, um, let's say after September 11, so, yeah, we have to wake up and we can't go into life like it was before, but that, does that mean that we should never go on a plane again? Does that mean that we shouldn't visit Manhattan again? Well, for some people, yeah. But, you know, like, what, what does that mean in, in a sense from, from other angles? And, and I'm, I'm very happy that you brought this up. The, the, when I'm saying that you're not supposed to go back to normal, I'm, I'm really referring to the spiritual aspect of it. From the physical aspect of it, yes, if something brings you into a, a phobia or anxiety or, or things that actually hinder your day-to-day life, then yes, you have to move on from that. But what I what I was referring to was the essence of going and um, dealing with it in the spiritual sense, meaning that don't just say, okay, this happened, let's move on. No, no, no. Spiritually, you have to wake up and change. Physically, yes, you have to move on with life and go back to the way it was before. And in some scenarios, the anxiety relays into the spiritually, and, and sometimes that has to be dealt with accordingly. Whoever doesn't know what I'm saying, just leave it. But in some situations, it is, a, it is appropriate to go and speak to your rabbi and say, okay, in certain scenarios, you know, I, you know, I woke up at like, you know, I changed myself spiritually, but, you know, they're so like changing themselves nonstop that they can't live the normal life. So it has to be done in a delicate situation. And many times this is why, uh, you know, what, what the benefit of a rabbi and the guidance of a rabbi would help in that situation. Okay, next question. Looks like we have the last question. Uh, what does the Rav mean by philosophical works? Is theories of human behavior and Alfred Adler's uh, Freud series that people consider philosophical work? Okay, so that's a good uh, that's a good question. What I was referring to in philosophical works. What I'm really referring to over here is things that are dealing with kfira, things that are against God, against the Torah. Uh, that's where it is a problem. If you're you know studying philosophy, first of all. All the philosophy you need to study is in the Torah. Um, I, I never understood why people take philosophy in college because you can't really do much with it unless teach philosophy. It's like one of those things like sociology, you know, like <laughs> I don't know what you can do with it other than teach it. Um, but, well, obviously there is different things. I'm not, the, you, know, uh, you know, I'm not bashing that whoever's a sociologist. But um, in essence, there are certain things that are, that are, there's like no purpose for it. It just brings problems to your you know, to your mindset, to your thought process that doesn't really gain anything from it. And again, this is not because there's no answers. <coughs> there's not, it's not because of the, the difficulties, like, like Christianity goes, excuse me, <coughs> Christianity goes and says you can't ask any questions because they can't answer it. We're not saying that. Judaism doesn't say don't ask questions because we can't answer it. Don't go digging in places that because, then there's, it's nothing to do with the answers related, but in fact, the, it has to do with the fact that you're going to see life. You're going to you're going to bring into yourself questions and doubts that are unnecessary. That even though there's answers to it, it's just you know like it's it's irrelevant sort of information that you don't need. And I hope that's clear. Um, okay, I think that was the final question. If we don't have any other questions, then we'll uh, finish it off for the for the night. All right.
Okay. Thank you all for uh, joining as usual. And thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining. And may God bless each and every single one of you uh, for just tremendous amount of greatness and goodness and success. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.